This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brooks Jensen, Anacortes, Washington. Master and Man by Leo Tolstoy. Section 6. Vasily was warm enough in his two heavy coats, especially after his exertions in the snowdrift. Yet, for all that, the frost seemed to breathe down his back when he understood that they had to spend the night there. To calm his apprehensions, he sat down in the sledge and pulled out his matches and cigarettes. Meanwhile, Nikita unharnessed the cob. He undid the belly band and saddle piece ran the reins out, unfastened the traces, and took off the dugah, talking cheerily to the animal the while. "'Out you come, out you come,' he said as he led it out of the shafts. "'Let me take off your bit and tie you up here, and then you shall have some straw.' He suited the action to the word. "'Eat away, and you will feel all the better for it. Nevertheless, Brownie did not seem to grow easier under Nikita's touch, but kept fidgeting about as he stood tail onwards to the wind. Every moment he would shift his legs, press up to the sledge, and rub his head against Nikita's sleeve. However, as if unwilling to seem churlish about the meal of the straw which Nikita had strewn before his nose, he took an occasional straw from the sledge, but appeared at once to come to the conclusion that straw did not meet the case and threw it down again, whereupon the wind caught it in a twinkling, whirled it away, and buried it in the snow. "'Suppose we make a signal of distress,' said Nikita presently. He turned the sledge a little towards the wind, tied the shafts together with the belly band, turned them up, and rested them against the splashboard. "'Now, if anyone passes this way, they will be able to see us by the shafts and come and dig us out.' I learnt this trick from the old people, and he clapped his mittens together and put them on. Meanwhile, Vasily had unhooked his fur coat and made a shelter of its skirts. Then he struck match after match against the steel matchbox, but his hands were shaking so violently with the cold that each successive match either failed to light at all or was blown out by the wind as he was in the act of lifting it to his cigarette. At length a match did flare up properly, illuminating for a brief second the pelt of his fur coat, his hand with his gold ring on its curved index finger, and the snow-covered straw which projected from under the sacking. The cigarette lighted, he drew a couple of greedy whiffs, swallowed the smoke, and puffed it out again through his mustache. Then he was about to take a third whiff when the wind caught the lighted end of the cigarette and carried it away to join the wisps of straw. Nevertheless, even these meager mouthfuls of smoke had exercised a cheering effect upon him. "'If we must spend the night here, well, we must, that's all,' he said undauntedly. "'Wait a minute, and I will rig up a flag.' Picking up the handkerchief which he had unwound from his neck and thrown down upon the floor of the sledge, he took off his mittens, climbed onto the splashboard, stretched himself up on tiptoe to reach the belly band, 
and tied the handkerchief round one end of it and of the shaft in a stout knot. The handkerchief at once began to wave wildly, now clinging to the shaft, now suddenly filling out again and straining at the knot as its folds cracked in the wind. "'Is that not clever of me?' said Vasily as he stepped down again, much pleased with his handiwork. "'Now, if we could lie together, that would be the warmest way, but I'm afraid there isn't room for both of us.' "'Never mind. I will find a place for myself,' answered Nikita. "'Only I must cover the cob over first, for he has been sweating a lot and is tired out. Wait a minute,' and diving into the sledge, he dragged the sacking from under Vasily. Possessed of this, he folded it double, and removing the saddle-piece and crouper from Brownie's back, covered him over. "'You will be warmer like this, little fool,' he said, as he replaced the saddle-piece and crouper. "'And now,' he said to Vasily, "'I will take the apron if you don't want it tonight. Give me some straw, too.' And thus taking one thing and another from beneath Vasily, he went to the back of the sledge, dug a hole in the snow there, and lined it with the straw. Then he pulled his cap over his eyes, wrapped his halat about him, with the apron over all, and squatted down upon the straw with his back resting against the bark tailboard of the sledge, that it might protect him from the wind and snow. Vasily shook his head in disapproval of Nikita's proceedings. It was contrary to his habit to encourage the peasantry in their rude, uncouth ways, and then set about making his own preparations for the night. First of all, he smoothed out what straw was left in the sledge, padding it a little thicker where his thigh-bone was to rest. Then he pulled on his mittens and lay down with his head in one of the corners near the splashboard, that the latter might protect him from the wind. Somehow he did not feel sleepy, but lay thinking. He thought chiefly of the one thing which constituted his whole pride, ideal, aim, and joy in life, namely, the making of money, and yet more money. He thought of the means by which certain acquaintances of his had made their money, how they were using it, and the means by which he, like they, might make a great deal more than he already possessed. The purchase of the Goviachkinsky forest seemed to him a matter of vast importance, since out of this forest he hoped to make, at one stroke, a sum, possibly, of ten thousand roubles. He mentally reckoned up the value of the timber which he had viewed in the autumn, and on the basis of the two disciatins he had then inspected, went on to calculate the whole. Here the translator inserts a footnote that a disciatin is two and four-fifths acres. The oak wood will do for sledge runners if cut up, and for beams as they stand, he said to himself and after they are felled, there should be left about thirty sajens of firewood to the disciatin. Here the translator inserts another footnote, that a sajen is about seven English feet. Thus calculating, he could see that the total value of the forest worked out to about twelve thousand roubles, but could not reckon to an exact figure in the absence of tables. All the same, he went on, I am not going to give even so much as ten thousand for it, only eight thousand, and that subject to deductions for open spaces. I will grease the surveyor's palm with a hundred roubles, or perhaps a hundred and fifty, and he will measure me off the clearings at at least five disciatins. 
Yes, the owner will be glad to let the forest go at 8,000 rubles. I have 3,000 ready for him here, thought Vasily, as he felt for his pocketbook with the inside of his forearm, and that should melt him. How on earth we came to miss that turning, God only knows. There must be a forest and a forest keeper somewhere about there. His dog ought to have heard us. The cursed brutes never bark when they're wanted to. He turned back his coat collar from his ear and listened. Nothing was to be heard but the whistling of the wind, the rustling and cracking of the handkerchief on the shafts, and the swish of the snow as it lashed the bark sides of the sledge. He covered his ear over again. If only I had known that we should have to spend the night here, he thought. Well, we shall get there tomorrow all the same. It will only mean one day lost. Besides, those other fellows wouldn't come either, not in such weather. Suddenly he remembered that on the ninth of the month he was to be paid some money for weathers by the butcher. I ought to be back by then to receive it. He couldn't take me in over the price, whereas my wife doesn't in the least know how to bargain. In fact, she doesn't understand how to talk to anyone, he went on, as he remembered her failure to make conversation to the Stanovoy, who had been one of their guests of yesterday for the festival. Here the translator inserts a footnote that a Stanovoy is the local magistrate. She is a woman. That is the long and the short of it. Moreover, what had she ever seen before I married her? Her father was only a well-to-do mujik, a shabby little farm, that was all his property. But what have I not acquired in fifteen years? A store, two taverns, a mill, a granary, two rented holdings, and an iron-roofed villa and warehouse combined. He swelled with pride. Rather different to her father, I think. In fact, who is the chief man of the district today? Why, Vasily Brukhanov, of course. And why so, he continued presently. "'because I devote my whole attention to business "'and work hard, not like some people who lie abed and play the fool. "'I don't sleep whole nights away. "'No. Blizzard or no blizzard. "'Out I go, if necessary, and my business gets done. "'They think me a fool and laugh at my money-making. "'But never mind, Vasily, go on working hard, "'even if it makes your headache. "'If necessary, spend a night in the open like this "'rather than lose time.' Never mind if you cannot sleep either. To be able to think such thoughts is a pillow in itself, he concluded proudly. Some people seem to think that riches come to one by chance. Pooh, there is only one Miranoff in a million. No, work hard, and God will give you the rest. If only he give you health and strength, that alone should be sufficient. And the mere thought that he might one day become such a millionaire as Miranoff who had risen from nothing, so fired Vasily with ecstasy that he yearned to have someone to speak to. Yet there was no one. Ah, but once he could win to Goviachkina, he would have a landowner to speak to, and to bamboozle as well. Good heavens how it blows, he continued, as he listened to a squall of wind which was beating against the splashboard and bending it inwards as it lashed the bark planking with snow. It is drifting the snow so much that perhaps we shall never get out in the morning. Nothing could be seen in the white swirl of obscurity but Brownie's dark head and tail and the sack covering his back. 
At intervals the wind would toss the corners of the sack aloft, while in front and behind and on the other side of the sledge whirled the same uniform mass of whiteness, now lightening a little, now suddenly becoming denser. I was a fool to have ever listened to Nikita, he thought. We ought to have gone on again, and we should have landed somewhere. We might have reached Grishkino again, and been able to put up at Tarasa's place after all. Yet here we have to stick all night. What is the good of that? God gives to those who help themselves, but not to loafers, sluggards, and fools. I must try smoking again. He sat up, got out a cigarette, and then rolled over on his stomach to shield the flame of the match from the wind with the flap of his coat. Yet the wind found an entry somehow and blew out the matches, one by one. At length he contrived to keep one alight and started smoking. He felt greatly pleased with his success, and although the wind got more of the smoke than he did, he managed to draw three whiffs and was much cheered by them. He rolled himself back into a sitting posture, wrapped himself up again, and started once more to think over and consider matters, until suddenly, and without warning, he lost consciousness and went off into a doze. All at once, something seemed to jostle him, and he awoke. It might have been Brownie pulling away straw from beneath him, or it might have been the result of some internal disturbance, but at all events he awoke, and with his heart beating so fast and so furiously that the very sledge seemed to be shaking under him. He opened his eyes. The scene around him appeared exactly the same, except that it seemed lighter. It must be dawn, he thought to himself. It will soon be morning now. Then all at once he remembered that the fact of its getting lighter could only mean that the moon was rising. He raised himself again and looked at the cob. Brownie was standing with his hindquarters to the wind and shaking all over. The snow-heaped sacking was turned up over his back on the windward side, and the crouper was slipping down over his flank, while his snow-powdered head and wind-tossed mane and forehead tuft were more clearly visible than before. As for Nikita, he was still squatting in the same position as when he had first sat down, with his feet and the apron with which he had covered his head all piled with snow. A moujik never freezes, thought Vasily, as he bent over the back of the sledge and looked at him. No, not for all his poor clothes. He can be trusted for that. Yet the moujiks are a stupid lot, a mere welter of ignorance. For a moment he thought of taking the sacking off the cob's back and covering Nikita over with it, but it was too cold to get up and make the effort. Moreover, he was afraid of the cob starving if he did. What on earth did I take Nikita for, he reflected. I have her stupidity to thank for it all, he was thinking of his wife. Then he rolled back into his former position by the splashboard. My uncle spent a night in the snow like this, he went on, yet he took no harm. Sebastian, too, once had to be dug out, he continued as another instance occurred to him. Sebastian died, though, for he was frozen stiff as a carcass. If only we had stayed at Grishkino. Wrapping his coat more carefully about him, so that the protection of the fur should not be wasted at any point, but keep him warm from head to heels, he closed his eyes and tried to sleep again. Yet for all his efforts he could not succeed, but on the contrary 
continued absolutely alert and wakeful. Once more he began to make business calculations and to run over his outstanding debts. Once more, too, he began to appraise himself and to congratulate himself on his position in the world. Nonetheless, his every thought seemed to be broken in upon by a sort of haunting fear, as well as by a feeling of vexation, that they had not stayed at Grishkino. To think of it, he murmured, why at this moment I might have been lying in a warm bed. More than once he turned himself over and resettled himself in a vain endeavor to find an easier position, and one more protected from the wind. But each new posture proved more uncomfortable than the last. At length he raised himself again, changed his position altogether, wrapped his legs up carefully, closed his eyes, and tried to lie perfectly still. Yet either his feet, squeezed into their stiff top-boots, had begun to ache, or the wind was catching him somewhere, but at all events he had not been lying long in this position before he found himself angrily remembering that at this very moment he might have been lying in a warm hut at Grishkino. Again he raised himself, again he wrapped his coat about him, and resettled himself. Once he thought he heard the far-off sound of cocks crowing, whereupon he turned down the collar of his coat in a tremor of joy and listened attentively. Yet for all his straining of his ears, he could hear nothing but the whistling of the wind through the shafts, the flapping of the handkerchief, and the lashing of the snow against the bark sides of the sledge. As for Nikita, he remained squatting as he had done since the previous evening. Never once had he stirred, nor returned any answer to Vasily's shouts, although the latter had called him more than once. He seems to have no difficulty in sleeping, thought Vasily with irritation, as he leant over the back of the sledge and looked at the snow-covered Nikita. In all, Vasily must have got up and lain down again at least twenty times. It seemed to him as if the night would never end. Surely it must be morning now, he thought once, as he raised himself and glanced about him. How would it be to look at my watch? But no, I might get frozen if I unhooked my coat. Yet once I knew that it was drawing towards morning, things would seem better, and we would set about harnessing the cob. In the depths of his soul, however, Vasily knew quite well that it could not be near morning yet. The truth was that his nervous panic was increasing to such an extent that he wished both to verify his supposition and to deceive himself. In the end, he finished by carefully unhooking his fur coat, thrusting his hand in, and groping about till he dug down to his waistcoat. A further series of efforts enabled him to draw out his silver watch with its enameled chasing of flowers. Then he tried to look at it, but nothing could be seen without a light. Once more he lay down upon his elbows and stomach, as he had done when getting ready to smoke, pulled out his matches, and set about striking one. By this time he had grown more expert at the business, and, feeling for the match with the largest head of sulphur, he contrived to light it at the first attempt. Then thrusting the dial of the watch under the light, he looked at it and could hardly believe his eyes. It was only ten minutes past one. The whole night lay before him. Oh, the long, long night, he groaned 
feeling as though the frost were striking down his back already. Then, hooking up his coat again and wrapping it about him, he sat back in the corner of the sledge and prepared to wait with what patience he might. Suddenly, above the monotonous wail of the wind, he heard a new sound, a sound made by some living creature. It grew steadily louder, attained its maximum, and began to steadily die away again. There could be no doubt what it was. It was a wolf. Nor was the beast so far off that the wind could drown the gradations of tone in its howl as it moved its jaws from side to side. Vasily put back his coat-collar from his ear and listened strainedly. Brownie was doing the same, his ears sharply pricked, and when the howl ceased, he changed his legs and snorted uneasily. After this, Vasily found it more than ever impossible to sleep, found it impossible to steady his nerves for a moment. The more he tried to think of his business affairs and accounts, his reputation, dignity, and wealth, the more did terror begin to master him. While above all other thoughts, and yet mixed up with them, floated the persistent question, Why did we not stop the night at Grishkino? God be with that landowner and his forest, he thought to himself. Yet I wish I had never come across either of them. To have to spend the night here, they say that men who have been drinking always freeze readily, and I have been drinking tonight. Listening thus to his own suggestions, he could feel himself beginning to tremble, though he hardly knew why, whether from cold, that is to say, or from fear. He tried to cover himself up and lie down as before, but found this impossible. He could not remain still even for a second, but felt as if he must be up and doing something to stifle the terror which was rising in him and against which he felt himself powerless. He got out his matches and cigarettes once more, but of the former there remained but three, and they were of the sorriest kind. Indeed, all of them fizzled out, without lighting when struck. "'The devil take you, you cursed bit of rubbish! Go and be hanged to you!' He burst out, though he hardly know what he was swearing at, as he hurled the battered cigarette away. The matchbox was about to follow when he stayed his hand and thrust the box into his pocket. Such a fit of restlessness now seized upon him that he could stay no longer where he was. Leaping from the sledge, and standing with his back to the wind, he began lowering and tightening up his belt again. "'Why should we lie here, waiting for death to come?' he exclaimed as a new idea suddenly struck him. "'Why not mount the cob and ride away? With only a man on his back, he would never stick fast.' Then he thought of Nikita. "'Oh, but it would be nothing to him to die,' he went on. "'What can life matter to him? He has nothing much to lose with it.' whereas I have much to gain with mine. So he untied the cob, threw the halter over its neck, and tried to mount. But his fur coat and boots weighed him down, and he slipped back every time. Then he climbed onto the sledge and tried to mount from there, but the sledge kept rocking under his weight, and he failed again. At length, and for the third time, he drew the cob close to the sledge, 
balanced himself cautiously on the rim, and succeeded so far as to find himself stretched face down athwart the animal's back. Lying thus, he wriggled himself forward once or twice until he had got his leg over and seated himself, his toes resting in the trace loops of the saddle-piece. But the jolting of the sledge, as it shook under Vasily's weight, had awakened Nikita, who now raised himself and seemed to Vasily to be saying something. "'Look here, you fool!' shouted Vasily. "'It's all through you that we have got into this plight, got into it for nothing, too!' and tucking the flapping skirts of his greatcoat beneath his knees, he turned the cob round and rode away from the sledge in the direction where he thought the forest and the forest-keeper's lodge must be. This ends Section 6.